and welcome back to Vox Popcast, the weekly pseudo-academic roundtable of pop culture analysis with drinking and swearing. My name is Christopher Maverick, but you can call me Mav, and I am once again here with my co-hosts, Hannah and Katya and Wayne. How's it going, guys? Hey, Mav. Hey. <laughs> hey. <laughs> I mean, it's not even worth asking, like, why people were like, I mean, I, like, I, I get it. How's it going is not the best comment. It's just, I feel like ever since the COVID episode. Yeah, that question, just like, I don't know how to answer that question, honestly, and yet also in a way that doesn't completely derail this entire episode. Yeah, I'm going to find, like, a icebreaker generator thing and send it to you, and we can have a new inter- intro oh question. Oh my god, please. Yeah. Like, every week. You're going to be like, sir, hell. welcome back to Vox Popcast. Please tell me two truths and a lie. Is that what you want me to do? <laughs> <laughs> It'd be very funny. It'd be a lot more funny than, how's it going, guys? Radio <laughs> silence edit. Hey, man. And then I can just mine that for icebreakers for the first couple weeks of class where you're trying to get, you know, your terrified freshman to, like, say anything ever. Oh, I have so many thoughts. Look, Mav, I mean, she, a she, wild guest has appeared. Yeah, we'll introduce the guest. Because, actually, it makes sense to introduce the guest first this time anyway. I would like to welcome Carolyn back to the show, Carolyn Salvi, who hasn't been on in a while, but it's been on a couple of episodes before. We were talking about trying to remember which ones. You were on 20-something teen and the episode where we talked about the film Cuties, which yes. caused a bunch of stir. And then everybody was like, oh, my God, this is a horrible thing. And then we all watched it and we were like, Saint Oh, this is a great movie. What crack are you all smoking? Yes. Delighted to be back. We asked you back for a very specific reason. So before we go too far, because normally I'd say, so what's your expertise here? But you actually do have specific expertise here. So first, before that, I'm going to ask Katya, what are we doing today? So we're talking about dissertations, mostly because after having finished mine two years ago, I realized how much normal people, i.e. non-graduate students, don't know about dissertations. And they seem interested in them, which I find baffling. Especially since mine is off of embargo now, which we can talk about what that means later. But And I realized people are actually reading mine, which is alarming. Really? It's awesome. Uh, Yeah, congrats. I don't know that anybody's ever going to read mine. I was excited when I found out that mine had ever been cited. (laughs) Mine has not been cited, but people have like contacted me about it. And it's very weird. Anyway, what I wanted to talk about it because I think people have a misconception that like a dissertation is a book and it's a final product and it is, but it isn't. Yes. And so especially like I sometimes see especially politicians who have maybe written dissertations before, which sometimes are actually master's theses. I've noticed that, which is a whole uh, different thing. That's, well, um, we should talk about that too. That's we, can awesome. talk about, we can talk about the differences between those two things. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important for like people who have zero interest in graduate school to understand what a dissertation is and what a dissertation isn't when things like that come up. So, which brings us to our guest. <laughs> so I'm Carolyn Salvi and I am an adjunct in the Boston area. I teach first year writing and women and gender studies, depending on who's hiring me in any given semester. Oh, yes. And I also freelance as a dissertation coach. The way that I describe this to the correct kind of client, which is not all of them, is that I basically act as a dissertation top. So when you're like, oh, God, my dissertation is awful. I can't make myself write it. What do I do? I boss you around. (laughs) And I try and boss you around helpfully, but I give you a ability that is not your advisor. 
give you mm. a safe place to show bad writing that is not your advisor. I help you hone the argument of what you're doing. I give you deadlines. I talk you through whatever your brain weasels are. Brain weasels are those inner voices that make everything more horrible. <laughs> so they act as like the falconry for the brain weasels. Please tell me that is on your business card, Zach Bray. With no not, but it definitely needs to be. It should I haven't made up yep. business cards in a <laughs> long time. And I love that work. I think it is just stupidly fun. And this means that I've had the opportunity to work on a wide range of dissertations with people. So my PhD is in English literature with a specialization in 20th century drama and gender studies. And for people in the know, they go, oh, yep, I know what that might kind of look like. But I have worked on other English dissertations outside of my period and expertise, like the early modern period, what we also call the English Renaissance. I have worked on art history. I have worked on public education. I have worked on a dissertation in sort of like at the intersection of higher ed administration and philosophy. I most recent client completed finally after a very long journey, her dissertation in molecular plant biology, which is like way outside my field. So so I get to see a bunch of different processes and topics and I get to learn stuff while I'm doing it, which is amazing. And yeah, that's my side hustle when I hustle it. <laughs> <laughs> with the weasel and, and when, yeah when katya said that she wanted to do this i was like i know who i want um, specifically because that gives her like specific insight beyond the fact of oh yeah dissertations i had to write one of those or which is which was something that i thought might be possibly the feeling that we would have well before we get into that i do want to note that we have a phantom sort of guest on this okay. episode in that we did a survey Yes. <laughs> I was gonna, yeah, I was going to say that too. Yeah. It is but, a slightly goofy survey that we put together about, because we just wanted to gauge like who are our silent listeners. You know, a lot of our, a lot of our listeners do end up being guests. So we know who you are or we know you personally, but there's a whole bunch of people that don't. And so we wanted to get people, so what a dissertation was, their personal associations with it and all mm -hmm. that good stuff. We had like 22 respondents. So we will be referring to those or I will be referring to those mm -hmm. occasionally through the episode. Okay. And then obviously, so of the regular host of the show, Monica couldn't be here today, but she Monica is starting her PhD program in like three weeks. So she's not written one yet. I wrote one, but I haven't defended it yet. I, I defend my dissertation in two weeks. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's really scary and terrifying. But like, so I've written one and then Katya and Hannah defended theirs a year. And a half. In 20, spring of 2020. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mar Mar I think March for both of so us. It's been, uh, yeah, it's been two. I think we did years. ours like a week or so apart. Yeah. Right. Um, and, so it's and it was Zoom to be specific, which I think wow. is important. Oh, yeah. But we were the first generation to do the remote, like on mass to do the pandemic, this like thing. Mm -hmm. Wow. Which is a different um, experience. So yeah, yeah, I want to tell the story that I'm sure I've already told, but it, it just bears repeating. My laptop, which usually behaves, died not once, but twice in the middle of my defense. That's mm. great. Yeah. And so our experience <laughs> yeah. is also probably, yeah. of the defense particularly, is probably also a little bit different from a lot of folks in the before times. And I think actually, like, I don't know, although I strongly suspect, and I'd be really interested in other people's experience with this, I think defending pre-COVID and defending post-COVID, generally speaking, if it's not remote, probably also looks different because of that. Well, well so I should point out, mine is 
probably going to be closer to your. So even though I could meet in person, my dissertation committee is three people split across three states. So it's going to be over Zoom. That's just how we're going to do it. So, because Yeah. I'm going to back up for one second. Mm-hmm. So interestingly, most people had at least a vague idea of what a dissertation was mm-hmm. and they knew that it was field specific. But since we're talking about defenses already, I do want to define what a defense is because that was something that people were generally not familiar with. So mm-hmm. in, in the broadest possible terms, a dissertation is some kind of research project. The exact parameters of it depend highly upon your field. Yes. You do it as a part of a PhD and it is the thing that basically earns you the PhD. There's a bunch of other requirements too, but it's the main chunk it's of the work. Last step. What's the last? It's the last. It's, and- the, it's the last step. There's much pomp and ceremony and and depending on where you are and what your field is, time to PhD from the time you enroll to the time you finish can be anywhere from four years to eight years or more. It a lot. But you basically create this research project. You complete it, whatever that is for your field. For us, it was basically writing. For most people in humanities, it's like basically writing a draft of a first book is the easiest way to think about it. And then the defense. So once you finish the manuscript or project or whatever it is, you submit it to your committee. Your committee is your dissertation advisor, which is usually the professor most closely aligned to your field in your department. Sometimes that varies. True at all, in my right. case. In Mav's case, that's not true at all. It's, and also that's somewhat true in my case. So as far as my advisor is aware, I might be the first person to graduate from my specific department with a heavy emphasis on video games. There's been other video game scholars that came out of my department, but it wasn't a hefty part of their dissertation. So that was definitely true for me as well. Like I said, it varies. And then your advisor is kind of like the head of the committee. And there's usually, the I had a committee of four people. Sometimes you usually have a, like, like your advisor plus three to for other people. Some people have like mega committees. It really depends. But basically you submit the manuscript to them. They read or at least claim to read it. You have to remember that often, okay, so like like many advisors, like like my advisor, oh gosh, Hannah, I don't even know how many advisors are, or how many advisees our committees had, but like there's a defense season at most schools. So we're all submitting around the same time. So, and like dissertations, like my dissertation was a little bit over 200 pages type and it was by no means the longest one so some of these committee members just got like 2,000 pages of manuscripts yes. dropped on them. So read is maybe, let's put an asterisk next to that. One of my committee members, yeah. members showed up 45 minutes late for my two-hour defense and definitely had not read it. Awesome. Right. And like also often when academics say that they read a book, it's you read the first chapter, the last chapter, and the chapter that interests you. So like when we say we read a thing, that does not mean the same thing as it does to some other people. I've learned. And so that definitely applies. So basically, but let's assume in the best case scenario, everyone has thoroughly read and hopefully enjoyed your dissertation. Enjoyed probably also comes with a big asterisk. And then you have your defense. So this is one of the things that I think is not only dependent on field, but also institution. Because like some defenses are public. But basically the idea is that you sit down, you present or at least discuss the overall like intention of your dissertation. And then in my case, I was question on it for two hours right and and as hannah was noting i was doing that probably i was doing on zoom probably two weeks into lockdown so no one had Mm -hmm. any idea what they were doing so so it's also worth noting that like the idea of the defense literally comes from the middle ages Mm -hmm. so you are you're not necessarily saying although we do know mav and i do know somebody who literally came to their defense with a katana so it's not like you actually have to physically (laughs) defend yourself usually we hope but you do have to defend your ideas and you have to give justifications for your methodology and you have to say things about like what you would 
would do differently or where you would go with the project next or you know if there are gaps in your research you need to explain why they're there p.s everybody always has gaps in their research that's so how that's, research do. yeah that's what's going on there is that they want to know that not only that you have done the thing but that you can talk about the thing in a way that sort of justifies its existence and the literal years you have put into it you're basically trying to demonstrate i mean like a good good committee and a good department shouldn't let you go to your defense unless they have a strong like belief that you're going to because like and again i emphasize good committee and good department because it absolutely happens but it is fairly rare they usually just wouldn't let you schedule if they didn't Mm. think they were going to pass you but basically the intention is and like the reason why being able to talk about it and defend it is important is you're trying to basically demonstrate like ah yes i am a learned scholar and basically because the phd is the thing that gives you the rubber stamp of you are qualified to be a professor and Mm -hmm. so they're basically testing you for that Mm -hmm. yes it's also i mean on some levels it's also a did you actually do this like can we catch if you cheated right can we catch if (laughs) you engage in plagiarism so So, yeah and so before we get into the like the details of how all of it works and stuff i wanted to point out something very specific because wayne's here and wayne you did not speak up as (laughs) having and this is very important because Mm. i learned something and this is going to be borne out by the by the surveys i learned something a while back when i was having an argument with someone on the internet you know as i am wont to do where people don't necessarily know what dissertations are and think a popular misconception is that people just think that dissertation means big argument and to be fair in some ways it kind of does mean that because the you know if you want to take the latin root word it just means a discussion and it doesn't actually have anything to do with grad school at all However, that's not what we mean when we're talking about it. And the person that I was arguing with was citing some dissertation that he'd read and was saying something that was he was making a, a political argument about race that was entirely nonsense. And he was citing, you know, well, according to this dissertation I read, because I think me and a couple other people in the, in, in the discussion had talked about, you know, our research or whatever. And he's like, well, this is how it works. And I was like, well, what, who wrote this dissertation that you're talking about? And what he meant was some guy's blog. And it, oh, and, boy. Yeah. And by dissertation, he's like, well, because it's a long blog. And by long, it was like a five page article, which, you know, it was like, you, write the, you write one of those a week in grad school. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's not a day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But like in this guy's mind, five pages was a lot. And to be fair, for, you know, for my freshman students, Whenever I teach intro to freshman writing, the very idea of writing anything longer than like three pages is terrifying if you've never done it before. So five pages seem like, well, this is a really long argument. And I'm like, this is barely an introduction. (laughs) That is the the preamble to the introduction. Right. It like because without joking, my acknowledgments page is two and a half pages. Like I have two and a half yeah. pages in my dissertation of me thanking people like you guys. Like this is literally yeah. like I mean I'm not like it's just we can be long winded. But I want to make sure Wayne was here because you know I like I often joke like Wayne, you are working on a book project right now and have been yeah. for and I keep joking that Wayne for some god forsaken reason is writing a dissertation for fun because you didn't do the grads. I mean yeah. you went to grad school for something else but you didn't do the phd program right part. you just like well i'm gonna do this i'm just gonna yeah, jump well, the end part by let, myself. Me, let me say this entire episode is bringing up all of my inherent impostor
imposter syndrome feeling. Yeah. <laughs> well, since we're on that, I yeah. do want to say I, like as has been made clear, I have written and defended a dissertation. I want to be bombastic and say, I don't know what a dissertation is. I yeah. mean, <laughs> like, clearly, clearly I do. Yeah. Like, the reason yeah. for this episode is, so right. two things yeah. I want to point out here, and I want to get back to Wayne though, is that less than 1% of the planet has a PhD. Right. Like depending on exactly exact estimates between one one to two percent of the global population. So like people misusing or misunderstanding what a dissertation is valid. Yeah. Also, our listenership, fascinatingly, like forty percent of people that responded have written dissertation. Yeah. Uh, well, or, yeah, forty. I wouldn't say forty percent of our listenership. Forty well, percent of people that responded to our survey. Yeah. yeah. The, of the respondents on this particular survey, which surprised me, but neat, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not as surprised. But when you were, yeah, no, I, no, to me, I did write a master's thesis, which is a different project and yet you know like as i've been saying all along with this you know i've kind of fell into comics academia pop culture academia backwards just through interest and being crazy and wanting to read papers and dissertations and that sort of thing for fun so yeah so i've been working on this book project i don't want to call it a dissertation because it's a different yeah it's certainly a different process i mean i don't have a committee right now you know i have some beta readers lined up when i get to that point you're talking about you know writing for an introduction here's this project i have no idea what it is yet and i have around 200 pages of my first draft done so i'm clearly insane done more work than or at least more writing than a dissertation necessarily yeah. has been yeah. <laughs> oh, you're right. yeah and saying this is very much this is very much first draft and i guess you know i am thinking of it as a book and i you know when i read through you know, have reading yours recently and when i read through other people's dissertations i do recognize i you know i guess what i'm thinking of as limitations in my writing style or at least a different writing style because in the course of that master's thesis in college and all the stuff i've done there is Gorgeous a style or <laughs> <laughs> novels by my own blog for 12 years you know whatever i've hundreds of articles i've done a lot of writing in my life but it's a different style of writing and you know i there is i don't recall anywhere in my academic my actual academic career and this could be just because of the programs i was in anyone teaching me how to write an argument dissertation style you know, how to do that sort of <laughs> thing that's why yeah. i said what i said about not knowing my dissertation was and my point about that is not, oh, I'm just, you know, silly and I don't know what it is and being cutesy. Mm-hmm. What no, I'm, my no point one tells I'm you. Trying to say, yeah, like my, my yeah, point the- I'm trying to say that is, is it's, there's something called the hidden curriculum mm-hmm. in academia. <laughs> And to not be the person talking about the hidden curriculum without explaining what the hidden curriculum is, basically, <laughs> is this like idea that there are a lot of hidden rules in academia that if you are not already a part of the system or, you know, someone takes pity on you and explains it to you, you don't know. And that could be mm. everything from like what professors are titled, because like it took me until the middle of grad school to figure out really like assistant professor, associate professor, full professor, like professor of the practice and every like institution is different to some Mm. degree too i look it up every time i need it (laughs) yeah i do like plagiarism rules because it's not just you know don't copy and paste someone's stuff off the internet there's like a whole thing to like here's good research methodology in your field and how to do that and here's how to make a good original argument and speak with scholars and here's what a dissertation project looks like I, for one, when I passed my exams, my advisor told me, hey, go read Khan's Perpetual Peace and turn in 10 pages on what you think. And that is not exactly how I thought I would begin writing a dissertation. To her credit. That's weird. Yeah, that was nothing like what I did, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, that's 
part of the thing is that like, so the other thing to know about PhD programs that I've had to explain to a lot of people who are considering them is that like all of what Hannah just said is true. And then on top of that, there's a bunch of that hidden curriculum that's specific to your field that even if your advisor might not know, and the only way you can figure it out is by reading around in the field. Mm-hmm. And then the other part of it is like, and this is going to sound really awful. And for some people it is because you have advisors that are complicated. And for some people it's delightful, but your advisor kind of rules your life in PhD program to some extent. Depends on the program. It does depend on the program, but like they're in most programs that I'm familiar with, like it's their job to direct your dissertation. So also what your dissertation will look like can be heavily determined by your advisor. Mm -hmm. And also there, when you finish your defense, the thing that actually gets you the degree is, at least at Duke and some other like universities that I'm familiar with their program, there is a form that your advisor has to sign and the rest of your committee has to sign. At least in in some programs, your advisor is the only signature that's actually necessary. So in some fields, this happens in the sciences all the time. You might Your advisor might literally say, you're going to write your dissertation on this. Yes. You might say, you're going to write this because we have the data here in the lab. Or this is a project I've been working on, but you can take it over and build your own name based on what I've done. In some fields, you may have a dissertation you super want to write and your advisor might say, no, I don't like it do something different your advisor can and will shut down like in some cases like what texts you want to use if you're writing in the humanities and a good advisor will help direct you to a good methodology but but that's super field dependent so if you're looking at grad schools let me say first figure out if you can ahead of time what support your program has for teaching you that hidden curriculum and i will say that tufts which is where i did my graduate work does a phenomenal job with that there's the tufts english graduate organization organization and they like carefully shepherd you through oh this is what your master's exam is going to look like this is what your oral comprehensives are going to look like this is why we do it this way here are the things you have to look out for here's what we learned when writing our own perspective like there's a lot of mentorship and support and look for a place that has that if you can be picky but there are places that you can go to learn that hidden curriculum stuff if it's not being offered in your department and the book that i used myself to successfully get through my PhD and the one that I use with all of my clients and also actually often with my first year writing students, even though they're not writing a PhD, because it has really good stuff about how to think about the scope of a research project, is a book called Destination Dissertation by Sonia K. Foss and William Waters. And it's the subtitle is A Traveler's Guide to a Done Dissertation, because a joke that we make in academia often is a good dissertation is a done dissertation. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But this is very much a thing that you like don't want to get too precious about because you'll just you can spend years of your life in it and you don't actually probably want to spend years of your life in grad school you probably eventually want to go on and do something else <laughs> and that actually touches on something that I think is really important. And that when getting back to the when dissertations come up in the news, because I will occasionally see people, specifically politicians who have written some kind of dissertation, which I have noticed actually is often a master's thesis. We should talk about that, too. So but I think what you just said about a good dissertation and done dissertation. And this is why I feel weird about the fact that people read my dissertation occasionally, not like in droves, but I've had a couple people ask me about it. If it is a book draft, mm-hmm. it is in, not like in the humanities, a, it's the book in the humanities, it's the book draft because we're talking about it. 
this varies by field. That's fact. true. But like mm-hmm. a lot of times when you see a dissertation, like it is good because it's done. It's not necessarily reflective of what that author actually thinks mm-hmm. at this moment in time, especially if it was a dissertation they wrote 10 years ago, 15 years ago, which is often the case when people bring up the news. Not to say it's not important, especially when it's uh, racist as hell, which is often why they get cited. But it's not like, like basically, it's like I always, I, like I, even, eat, we're even kind of guided away from citing dissertations if that person has published subsequent work mm-hmm. on that topic with the assumption that published work is probably more thorough because like sometimes like there are bits of my dissertation I had to write throw together in a matter of weeks to meet a deadline. Mm-hmm. So like take dissertations with and if you can like if you find somebody who's working really interested in, see if you can find published work. Also say as somebody who gets these emails now which I still find very weird. Like it's also not a bad idea to email the person who wrote it because A it's super flattering it's kind of fun and I've taken like now a couple of different calls. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's like so fascinating. Like when people message me like, can I ask you about your dissertation? And I was like, yes, but why? Seriously, <laughs> <laughs> um, though. And I think that this kind of gets at like something we were talking about earlier with like the amount of work members of committees are asked to do with dissertation defenses, not to mention all the other stuff like teaching classes and doing their own research and running journals and exams and like service to the university. Like, and often graduate students are doing a lot of those things as well. Yes. Like be, let's also like emphasize being a graduate student isn't like an extension of college it's like a real job like you have like you're balancing like lots of different like hats and like kind of it's kind of like a 19th century apprenticeship of your testing out being like like a mini professor before theoretically you get a job although that's why that's what i was going to say there's so much demand for labor in the academy that loads of people have talked about like the unsustainability and especially during the pandemic like job creep like the more things people were asked to do and this was especially you know truly like people like asked to like pivot their their classes online with like no training on how to do that in many cases there's also the fact that every year it feels like and fields have done statistical studies to prove that fewer and fewer good paying well-balanced tenure-track jobs are available to people who get dissertations so honestly probably my dissertation for most of my work that's not already published beyond the Jane Austen article that's you know that came out in my first chapter that might be the final time I ever write on it because I you know have since moved on from being a 19th century scholar in many ways except when I do it for funsies but it's not my full-time job anymore and so my work is just there <laughs> like it's mm-hmm. and, so that, and that's true for a lot of like people who are doing really cool things and like could change their field and you know there's been so many people who've pointed this out over the years that like the dissertation could be their final word like I, I know someone who left academia and I thought his work was great so I was like you know what cite your dissertation someone some, <laughs> someone should do it someone should do it like that was true for like and that's where being able to like evaluate your sources critically just comes in anyway because to your point sometimes dissertations are amazing and then sometimes they're like my dissertation <laughs> 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 Which has lots of amazing bits, but then absolutely has sections that I look back on now. I had the unfortunate experience of reading part of my dissertation again to prepare for a talk. And a lot of it, I agree with, still stand behind, I think is good. And then I'll find sections that are just like, ooh, ooh that's so, that's, nope, mm-mm, nope. <laughs> <laughs> well, and like, I got to the end of my defense. 
I just, I want to take a minute here and here I am being the patent. So to define what I understand a dissertation to be, a dissertation is a book length piece of original research where you're trying to add to the conversation in your field. So it should be some part literature review where you're saying, here's what everybody else has said about this. And here's what I have to say that's different. Mm -hmm. And then it should be adding something new that future scholars can build off of. That's the idea. That's the ideal. And I got to the end of my dissertation and I felt like, oh, each chapter has a coherent argument. And in my defense, my committee was like, so what's your argument for the whole thing? And I'm like, all the bits are related. Which and, is and fine. Like, well, if you were going to turn this into a book, you would need to have yeah. a stronger relationship between each chapter. And I'm like, great. Good to know. And then I went straight into, you know, more than a decade now of adjuncting and building a new course every semester and raising a short person. And like, I have a <laughs> like, I'm not doing any of that. And some like, it's just that's not where my career has, has taken me. And I don't believe the professors who say that, by the way, because I think that, yes, I understand that, that is the reference model for a dissertation. Like, because, hey, your book will be a monograph. It will have one overarching argument, except that, like, I've read books before and books don't work that way. Right. And like, <laughs> <laughs> true. Oh, thank God. <laughs> like, so there are I mean, there are some dissertations. I don't see. I'm not even sure how I'm going to answer that question yet because i haven't done the like my defenses as we record in two weeks right but he didn't get the podcast with his cow i feel like well, for you specifically it should. Me, i mean yeah because there are i mean so in I, I made the joke about my acknowledgement section it talks about this show right and my other show because one of the things that i have going for me and i sincerely mean this it came up in my actual job interview for my you know my actual i get to be a professor now job i have these shows where i get to just sort of work out like concepts that are part of my research fairly regularly. Not every episode of Vox Pop is something from Mav's dissertation, but let's be fair a lot of them really are like a lot of the calls for comments are like just word for word well here's the thing that i wrote like you know, yesterday so that was true that, i think that was true i think for most of us when we were yeah. still writing too like there were definitely i mean we sometimes talk about the origin of this podcast being from like recreating the experience of a conference that's what conferences are for yeah is yeah. to mm-hmm. touch that ideas and collaborate on them and like and in that sense this show is i think quite wildly successful Successful because like yeah. I think all of us whether we've written dissertations or not like I'm sh- like I'm sh- I know Wayne you've talked about in the past like some of your writing you oh, tested yeah. out here like I've absolutely tested out writing here that ended up in my dissertation actually there are like bits of chapters that are episodes now so you do the same thing I did your, yours is in the body of the dissertation mine's like I know in your dissertation you're like so as I argued on episode blah 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 of Vox Populorum like I will say this also like this is one of the things where I think field etiquette is very different. Like I cite as scholarly sources in my dissertation yeah. because in the field of game studies, some of the most useful examples, I cite YouTube videos because in game studies and game journalism, like those are places where people do important thinking. Comics and in game studies, you can get away with stuff like that as long as you contextualize, especially things like Reddit, like appropriately. Mm-hmm. But like, and I think that's true probably also of comic book and other forms of pop culture studies. Yeah. You can but get away with stuff. Them. Whereas like, if I was, for example, I'd be really interested actually to hear what about did. <laughs> well no things in the sciences because like uh, that's not going to fly and that's also right. a very different kind of structure actually even political science and like 
aspects of like social social sciences theirs aren't book-length manuscripts in the sense that it's a cohesive argument like we're talking about like many of my friends who have completed dissertation it's either more like a lab like a very long lab report mm-hmm. or it's a series of articles most of which are published that may or may not relate to each other than like they right. were done by the same person and therefore are on at least a vaguely related topic and it's more like in those two cases it's almost more like a research report slash portfolio whereas mm-hmm. what we're talking about of like the monograph extended book length thing is much more of a humanities and sometimes social science so i can talk to that a little bit so so the second thing you know where you're talking about like just like unrelated articles there's a those are the dissertation by publication right like they are here are a bunch of things that i did that are pseudo related and the relationship like you said might just be that they're all by me and therefore i have done enough in this field and that's a dissertation that does happen sometimes i don't think anybody would have accepted me doing that at my school i very rarely hear about the humanities and the only exceptions are like very niche kind of avant-garde programs where it's not in a traditional department right and then like for the science one though i tease stephanie stephanie is my wife who's been on the show many times she was on last week she's a cognitive psychologist she was just starting grad school when we met so when we started living together i read many drafts of her dissertation i'm the last person to thank and she's like you know thank you for being life partner blah 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 all this stuff but i read that and i watched her go through the process of doing her study for her phd and i tease her a lot today where i'm like ah, your entire thing's like 180 pages amateur because it's so <laughs> short compared to what a, but like it's not i'm just imagining the facial expression that steph gives you oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well she'll tease me back it's like i had to do an actual study what did you do yeah because and she knows i mean she's watched me she knows how much work it actually was to do what I did. But in my case, I literally read a bajillion books and two bajillion comic books, right? Like that's part of yeah. that was the research mm-hmm. was I had to go and read everything. And I and I spent my life reading and reading and writing and writing. Steph had to sit there and like, you know, get this whole computer program that she had to develop. And then she had to work with kids because she's a cognitive psychologist who studies the effects of tutoring on learning. So she had to sit there with children and observe them as they took these tests and as they ran these systems and it takes time and it works different and did she write a book about it no because that would be dumb it doesn't make sense it's essentially like her dissertation is in effect a 200 page lab report like she wouldn't she would never call it that like it's not but it but in many ways you know it's got the it's got a lit review yeah it's an extended summary of findings like it took like a scientific journal article added a bunch more detail a bunch more of the methodology a bunch more of the like yes discussion of outcomes but basically if you took it if you've ever read a scientific article you took each section of that and multiplied it by like 10 billion in terms of like size and sources and detail and length of time that it covers that's at least like most of the scientific dissertations i'm familiar with and she would tell you that it would be weird to cite it today like if somebody told her told steph that you know oh they just cited her dissertation she'd be like why i've written 20 follow-up articles since then why would you like like why would you cite this thing that i wrote a decade ago we're not there anymore because that's 
yeah. how that field works. It's very different. And I will say like another field difference that surprised me at first is so like we talked a lot about the humanities dissertation because that's what most of us have done or something. It's like a book draft and you have committee members and like readers. Well, it's expected that like you are the author, like, like your name is on it. But some science dissertations, as we've been saying, draw from articles and a big field difference in some sciences and some humanities is there's a lot more like collaboration and co-authors. So like people draw their chapters of their dissertations from articles that perhaps they were like lead author on, but they have like people who also worked on this and are credited as co-authors and like it's noted in their dissertation and that's fine in the sciences. And I want to say say too that the collaborative nature of dissertations in the sciences is one of the things that I think leads to scientists getting their dissertations out faster. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because because they're not doing the work alone and also just the being in the lab getting your results or you know setting up your time to do your study and you're you know looking at your study subjects like in Stephanie's dissertation like there's a whole process to that that can be a little bit more self-sustaining whereas I see people in the humanities just stall out in Mm -hmm. loneliness and isolation and often juggling too many classes as an adjunct I think it's that and then I think there's also like if you're in a lab environment and and like this is at least true of my friends in the sciences like if you're in that lab everyone is researching a different aspect of a similar problem Mm -hmm. so everyone is not just in your same overall field of say biology but everyone around you is if not in your specific subfield they are in one very close to it so you are all speaking the same language whereas like in a humanities department that's not always the case so there might not be anyone else in your department especially if it's a small one like Hannah and I that works on the subfield that you work in and that contributes to the isolation especially if you can't find people outside of your university that work in that subfield I mean that was true with me with game studies I think that's why Hannah and I ended up kept talking about game studies and I like she talked about stuff that I was she was talking about and we found connections between like very disparate fields which a made our research better but it also helped combat that isolation because it's like otherwise i wouldn't have had anyone to talk to about my research i think it's also why my dissertation every single chapter is on a very different like like subject and there's an overarching narrative but it's kind of like bits and pieces from five different fields because i'm like i not only had to make a dissertation based off of the conversations i was having around me so that i could make sense of what was going on but i also basically had to write a dissertation to explain to my committee none of whom have a background in video games (laughs) or digital media why related so like i have a chapter on puritans i have a chapter (laughs) on like american realism and i have like which to me it's fun yeah but a lot of people look at my dissertation i think that's why like i'm getting the pings that i get by people who like ask me to talk about an email wayne you're reading mine right (laughs) now have you gotten to the quantum very section yet yeah, I'm not joking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I hear you laughing because you and like I've read so much comic stuff, and I'm just I've lived in that world, and I'm reading your dissertation. And this is not a knock on what you did because I I understand the reasoning behind it. But boy, I'm reading a lot of comics history that I've read in a million other articles, yeah. books, and you know, yeah. You, ha- you but you need to explain that to your committee and advisors right. and all that stuff. But it's like, oh my god, it that would was never like, be in a book. It would never like four, be in a book. 
four four pages of shit I don't need to know. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's, well, that's me, and but, you know. Well, no, well, no but that's, that, that matters though, right? Because you're, you're talking about you're talking about where I like like I like literally explain why Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster wrote Superman. Yeah, and I've known that since I was seven. I didn't do research on that for this. I just right. it's just yeah. stuff that I know that Wayne knows that every comics theory person knows, and that's not my committee, so I had to explain it, and then that's immediately followed up by this discussion on quantum theory that is at least i think interesting yeah i'm interested no to my quantum theory chapter we should be content in knowing that in one of the multiverses they said yes (laughs) well (laughs) and that was a difference i mean my advisor had already said yes to a lot of very (laughs) creative let's go creative chapters and we should talk we've talked about like a little bit about like this is a especially in humanities this is a research project that you are the author of but i don't know if that's always one i mean in my case other than the fact that they wanted things that they didn't understand explained so like you know like wayne said he's reading this and he's like i know why you're explaining this but like you definitely do not care about me explaining the history like and i wasn't i mean it's literally me probably five or six pages where i explain where jerry siegel and joe schuster met and how that Mm. turns into superman and it's stuff that you've known for 50 years right like i'm i mean it's not new at all and i say i understand your reasoning for doing it in uh this context and it will come up you know i'll wrap together but like on the other hand i had for a humanities for an english department dissertation i had surprisingly little interference they trusted me in a way that i've watched other people do this process and not get the amount of trust that i got which is like because i've watched other people go through this and go and you know exactly what kathy just said just have an advisor saying no you're not talking about quantum theory for 10 pages and i mean i go into a discussion of quantum theory for 10 pages and then 30 pages later i'm talking about nazi history and right and, right. and, I, well, and the, I did it for a reason and it yeah. matches up but like i got leeway i got enough rope to hang myself in a way in which i'm really thankful for but like i don't think that's a normal experience i think a lot i think people would have pushed back a lot more often than i got well i think also you were like you were a older had a professional mm-hmm. life before your dissertation yeah. before you right. came to grad school and you were also like a relatively established scholar whereas like you know i went in right after my master's degree. So I started my PhD when I was 22. 20, 20, 20, 20. Years are hard. I was in my like early mid 20s, depending mm-hmm. on how you slice yeah. it. And so I think that's absolutely part of it. Yeah, I think Duquesne yeah. also just recognized immediately you knew more about this topic than anyone there possibly did. Yeah. So there, there wasn't a lot they could offer to you in those terms. So they just let you do it. Yeah. And that was definitely part of it. There was a lot. There was definitely some, well, he seems to know what he's doing so stay out of his way i think and i don't know if that's good or bad i mean i think it's good it was good for me but i don't know that's given what carolyn was just saying about making sure that you have the support to to, this is a horribly lonely and hard process you had our support right and i really mean that right like like there's a i mean in all seriousness i didn't have the isolation that would have normally come with it because if i was feeling like i needed to work something out then fuck it i'll just make an episode 
episode and that happened a yes. lot <laughs> like i was just like okay well, well just our <laughs> random conversations at the store turned into that mm-hmm. or even like we like in our like mav and i met in our master's program like we had a grad student lounge and this the kind of conversation of this <laughs> podcast happened all of the time, all the time. Yes. and that's when people were working on their master's thesis which i still want to get back to because i yes. i struggle with explaining to people the difference between a, a dissertation and a thesis other than it's longer yeah i don't think there is <laughs> like honestly i don't think there's a hugely meaningful difference there aside from it's longer i do want to say like in the same vein that i said you know go buy this destination dissertation book you know look for a program that has mentorship sort of built into it i had a dissertation writing support group with three other students who were roughly where I was like one entered a year earlier one entered a year later one entered already with her master but the four of us we got together roughly once a month to share writing with each other and that was absolutely my you know pre-podcast mm-hmm. version of this show for you guys I finished a decade ago don't ask me how that happened but ha- like building that safe place to talk about your ideas is just really crucial. And it's one of the things that people pay me for when they can't find one. <laughs> they yeah. pay me to be that person. So speaking of that, actually, so come back to our survey results. So we made kind of a goofy survey, not the most thorough, thorough thing ever for those of you who took a look at it. But we asked people kind of like their degrees of separation from dissertation writing and someone complained that they were bitter that there was, <laughs> I was an advisor for someone's dissertation was not an option because and I quote, God damn, that that was fucking work. <laughs> I think you're the only person on this call who's like really like being a coach is different from being an advisor. But I feel like you're the only person on this call who's like watched the process as an external person. I have. Yeah. I, I, okay, I, you I, have? Okay. Yeah, well, I, well, I, I was a fiancé. I was. Yeah. I mean, I was yeah. as a fiancé. I, 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 no, I have on a different level. Certainly not the dissertation level. I was on the advisory board for one of my undergrad students. And Chatham, they did a senior thesis project. Senior thesis. Mm-hmm. And at Chatham, it's kind of equivalent to a master's thesis. They really push it. Yeah, um, I've read, I've, and I've yeah. read, so the I person who, that. yeah, well, having done CMU <laughs> master's program with Katya and having read, Helena is the person who, yeah. hi, Helena, she listens to the show. Helena is Wayne's student. Well, having, no, I did it for Abby. Oh, did you? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, did, I didn't do Helena's. I did Abby's. Oh, well, I read I mean, Helena's. Yeah. I haven't read Abby's and, and it, it's extensive. Yeah. So, well, and Abby went in. I was there as an adjunct and typically they don't you know, allow part-time adjuncts to be on the advisory committee and abby went to her her direct advisor at the time who was also the guy who hired me and she's like look wayne's the only person i know who knows anything about this and he's like okay we'll pay him to be on the board (laughs) so that worked out yeah it was kind of true i mean there were three of us sat on the board and her project was all comic space and i was the only person she talked to who knew anything about that so so did you have like a specific question for me about what it's like to be on the outside or yeah i guess like it's just like your response this quote of the goddamn was fucking work because I, I guess I was thinking about like one of the things I talk to people who are considering PhD programs like undergrad specifically is like it's not just that it's a lot of work to do a dissertation but it is very stressful and for some people very emotional I would struggle to point to more than a few people who have not admitted to having some kind of breakdown in their advisor's office sometimes with tears so like yeah and so I imagine from like the advisor standpoint that is a different kind of stressful like basically there's the stress and pressure of writing a dissertation and then i imagine there's the stress and pressure of trying to help someone write one so so i got hired
hired back to teach at Tufts last year, which is where I did my graduate work. And I'm like, like, like literally had a class in the same classroom that I taught my very first class in, Aww. which was like sweet. And also like, oh, look, I haven't gone anywhere. Which is not true. Yeah. Like, I feel good about the life choices I've made by and large. Anyway, you're here, which means that you are top of your field. So no, obviously. <laughs> um, but I was having lunch with the guy who hired me, who he had gotten hired tenure track at Tufts right as I was leaving. So I never worked with him. And he was talking about having grad students. And he's like, sometimes, you know, I've had a handful now. And I've written mine and I've written two books. And But sometimes like my students, my advice is bring me something. And I'm like, I don't know what I want, but it isn't this. And he was the advisor said that. Yeah. Ooh. And he was admitting how hard it was for him to to develop for himself a clear sense of like what a good chapter or a good dissertation is going to look like and admitting to his own sort of squishiness around that that makes a lot of sense my advice actually was it some, I can't, actually maybe it was my advisor somebody on my committee told me that the end that they knew when somebody was done with their dissertation when they as a committee member didn't feel like they could teach them anything anymore and I remember having that specific conversation of like of the, like that committee member saying like you're done they're like not because this is a finished project for all of time he's like you're done because i can't help you make it even better and i i think that's a i think that's a good definition of done for all kinds of things so you know one of one of what i think my jobs is when i'm working as a coach for somebody is to be the place where they can have the breakdown that is not their advisor so they can t- maintain that more professional relationship with their advisor hopefully although it doesn't always get neatly separated that way i'm often called in sort of midway through so i'm rarely there at the mm. beginning when somebody is trying to figure out what would a dissertation even look like? What is the scope? How do I define my research question? Et cetera, et cetera. And often there when they're in the sticky middle and they don't know how to keep going or they've run out of executive function. And I think that's where a lot of advisors drop the ball is that they don't have those skills. And I've done a lot of work over the years as a tutor and an executive function coach for people with ADHD type stuff. So I've had to like explicitly learn a lot of pedagogical skills that hidden curriculum like I did not learn in my teacher training, some of which was very real and some of which was a complete farce. And and like in my teaching of first year writing, for example, do a lot of, by the way, here's how to do time management when you're in college. Here's how to break a big project up into smaller pieces. Because so often what happens is that people who end up with PhDs are people who are always good at school. Yes. And they haven't had to do the work of sort of reverse engineering learning process the semi logical way because they were just the people who could osmose it so that makes sense to me especially i have that i used to have that with my undergrad like they were all like very academically talented kids even the ones that didn't think that they were absolutely were and then they would have there was like somewhere i imagine it's that like it sounds like it's similar to that where it's like there was somewhere especially in freshman writing like one to two months in where they start getting you know four classes have midterm projects due at the same time and they've never had to do that before 
Like basically they've never had to juggle incredibly difficult tasks. And then also I think there's an aspect of it. And I think this is true of the PhD, but I see it in my undergrads too, as an, like as an instructor, it's like they, there's the amount of like academic competitiveness that they may not have encountered previously. Like I remember when I got to, um, it was a little bit of my master's program, but de- definitely my PhD. There was definitely the like, I feel like a fish out of water because people know things that I feel like I'm supposed to know that I don't know. And as a kid who like did well as school, at school for like all of K through 12 that had never happened before and if that's never happened to you before like that can be an incredibly complicated <laughs> like confidence thing yeah especially I, if you're somebody yeah. who might not be like super represented in that space I, I remember very specifically my first or second year doing the reading on a theorist and being very like like v- like being very careful because I wanted to like you know hold my own in the conversation because it was like this theory I'd never done before and I got to class. I had pages and pages of typed, analyzed notes. In this particular moment, I was an extreme tryhard. Yes. And then, like, someone took over and dominated the conversation and talked about another philosopher who we were not assigned, was not on the course syllabus for like 40 minutes with the instructor. And yeah. I just thought, oh gosh, <laughs> if this is what is expected of me, then I don't belong here. This is, I am, I know nothing. And, and it's also study skills, too. Because, like, I remember, I think it was around the same time, but a different class. Like, I didn't realize you could not do all of the reading. Like, I was doing all of the reading and killing myself to do it. But I had a class that was assigning a thousand pages a week. No one tells you that. No one tells you that. And then Mm -hmm. it was the end of the semester for that class. And then people started talking about how little reading they had done. I had read everything that had been assigned. And I was like, wait a second. What do you mean you guys aren't doing all of the reading? They're like, oh, yeah, I only read one book out of the 12 that were assigned. And I was like, you can do it. It depends on the professor. You got to figure out which ones you have to read everything for. And there's no, it's not written down. It's an unwritten rule that no one talks about. Yeah. Well, and you have to figure out, it's not even just about the professor. It's also about like, what can you do usefully? Yeah. Right. For my brain injury. P.S. I have a brain injury. It makes my life much harder now. I was the person who did like 95% of the reading all the time for everything. Mm-hmm. And I could do that. Not without, you know, making the people around me somewhat crazed. But I could do it. <laughs> And you know, particularly at the end of the semester, when you're getting down to writing papers, like things that get a little more slapdash, I couldn't do that now. Right. So so you have to decide, OK, what am I going to do so that I can do it well? And I really think that there's a lot to be said for making decisions about being judicious with your time and energy so that the things you're doing well. But Hannah, also to talk about the breakdown, like I didn't have mine in class. I had it on my now husband's couch in Chicago. I remember I was reading. Adorno's exit essay on Samuel Beckett's play Endgame Mm -hmm. and felt like I knew what was going on felt like I could basically follow the argument I'm sure there were nuances that were being lost on me but also just like hating the work and feeling the work (laughs) was being held up to me as this model of this is what you should be doing in this program in this department you should be Adorno oh god yeah I kind of felt like my program wanted me to be a failed so and I was like I don't believe in this yeah I don't actually think it's good for the world and that was where I had a breakdown I think it's useful to have existential breakdowns in grad school I think existential breakdowns are good for us in general like once every five years but that should not be the bulk of your grad school experience I think that honestly graduate school 
school, not just graduate school, but generally speaking, and this, this goes back to the hidden curriculum and like the history of academia. And that's not what we're here for today, really. But it ties it like academia is kind of a cruel place and it's historically exclusionary to a lot of people, especially if, like, you know, you go get your degree at a fancy school um, and you are not like a legacy in any sense of the term. And to be clear, I'm not claiming like first gen status. That's not me either or anything. But like it's there's just there's so much hidden curriculum and there's so much that's left unexplained even to and it, it becomes like a systemic problem because like as we've talked about with like teaching a little bit like people aren't like taught how to teach but it's like a huge part of their job once they become a professor and so like which may have just explained a lot about your undergrad experience yeah like which you know like that, that, that like and then you and so like the problem is it with student and like you know i think that academia would really benefit from a lot more kindness less like emphasis on punish and more on actually learning which is deeply ironic because like learning is like what we're supposed to be doing and i've talked to so many people in the past even week like at social events, not even about work. And they've been telling me about the conditions of their teaching jobs and how it makes them so sad because they know they're good teachers and they did go and get that training and they like have felt like the you know the ability to make a difference in students' lives. You know, they like they love teaching, they love the work, they love, you know, the service part, but the amount of like students they're assigned and like the work that they're expected to produce. And I have this conversation all the time. I see other people having this conversation all the time on like academic social media there's so many pieces about this you know floating around in like higher ed publications like the chronicle and i feel like we are in a both research and teaching crisis in some ways not because people aren't smart people are very brilliant and very good at what they do it's just the amount of labor being asked of you without any of the structure the scaffold the help and, yeah also compensation but even just like support systems within the university itself and an obvious obviously compensation like please university Maybe administrators both. pay like double everyone's salary mm -hmm. perhaps even triple it like the faculty and staff at your institutions are doing so much good work and one of the reasons i wanted to talk about this more unions absolutely yes, yes. we say as like union people well this is kind of one, one of the other reasons i kind of wanted to have this episode is that so like i said earlier a very small proportion of the global population gets a phd and i don't think that's inherently a bad thing like it's a, like we talked about a couple times like a phd is, a, is essentially a job it's a pre-professional program with some very specific intents, which is not to say that it's the only useful for, say, being a professor, but like, I don't think the PhD should be the next bachelor's degree and that everyone should get one because it's like, it's a specific kind of experience. Especially the, I mean, we should talk before you're done, you should make sure you get to the, I mean, I, this may be where you're going, but like what it actually means, because it's not clear. It's not clear so, what a PhD is even for, even beyond college, which isn't clear. That's kind of where I was getting, because the other reason I wanted to have this episode is that like, so I left two years ago and I'm working in the nonprofit space for about a year and I have a lot of calls <laughs> like I basically I get a lot of frantic PhD candidates reach out to me on LinkedIn because somehow they got my contact information or the people I know from my previous academic life panicking because they're like how do I leave and I think this is the interesting thing about like what, yeah what does a dissertation qualify you for because technically the PhD for the most part is the thing that allows you to be a professor that doesn't mean you can't teach at universities without 
it. There are other ways you can teach at universities without a PhD. A lot of adjuncting positions, for example, I think this is changing because of the amount of PhDs in the world, but like you can adjunct without a PhD. See, Wayne. Huzzah. See, Wayne. Right. Yeah. It's much more about like, are you qualified and can you speak on a thing? And there are Mm -hmm. people who, even though technically the PhD is the thing that can qualify you to be a professor, there's a bunch of other stuff on top of that that you need in order to be competitive. And the bar is much higher than it was like a generation ago. Like you need, it didn't used to be normal, for example, that you had to have one, if not several publications before you graduated. Now it's an expectation. It used to be the exact opposite, actually. I had faculty that like said that they discourage people publishing in their PhD program, even though you basically, I won't say that you can't get a job without publication. I definitely know people who have done decently on the market without publications, but it definitely restricts what you can do. So I guess also, the thing is, it's like, there's all this other stuff you need on top of a PhD. And I think this is like one of those things where like the kinds of dissertation that like Hannah and I wrote and Mav, I don't know that's going to continue to be the thing because like in some ways, so, like the fields that I'm familiar with that like they just have you present a portfolio of published articles are ones that are trying to rethink the PhD to be more useful because ultimately in order to compete for those jobs, you need two to three publications before you graduate. I, I will say. The dissertation will, doesn't necessarily serve that. Mm-hmm. I, I, sorry, I will say you can do quote everything right and by everything I write, oh, I mean like, what sure. you're And like, you can have a publication, which I did, and you can have like what your committee thinks is a great dissertation, which and I now realize it sounds like a humble brag, which like my advisor like really liked my dissertation. But my point in saying that is, is that you can do all the extra stuff. You can win awards. You can serve on committees. You can like push your research as far as you can teach extra classes. But the market is so bad. And I share this to, because so many people have written or are writing dissertations and our listeners based on that survey, apparently. If you go on the market and you don't get any calls, which is what happened to me in the academic space, it doesn't mean you're a failure. That's because of how structurally like the market is. And I actually am probably a lot happier than I would have been if I got a tenure direct job because I realized that kind of work wasn't what I wanted to do permanently. But I like it, I think kind of what you're getting at too, Katya, is that PhD programs still just don't, and we've talked about this, still don't like have like great ways of telling you like what else you can do. Like 100%. I know that like some graduate schools have tried to They may not even know. Yeah, like some like grad schools have like tried internships and like some like programs are working better on like figuring out what their alumni are doing since a lot of people don't end up as professors. But I think there's a lot of catch up in terms of figuring out what can you do with a humanities PhD besides be a tenure track professor? Or what can you do with a science? PhD besides like industry research and at least for the sciences there is the industry research though I mean like my friends in the sciences have had an easier time getting jobs in there oh yeah Mm -hmm. I think even social sciences because it's more legible it's increasing social science PhDs I've noticed it's increasingly legible to certain industries not all what it what they do Mm -hmm. my husband works in toy manufacturing and he hires social science PhDs to help test games and that sounds like the best job ever i know right <laughs> yeah kind of like how do i get how do i get that job anyway i i think one of my somebody i was close to in grad school who was also in grad school 
at the time. He was in the hard sciences. You know, he said, you know, getting a PhD should be a lot like having a kid just to say that you should only do it if you're like absolutely certain that you can't feel happy or fulfilled without doing it. <laughs> and I think that's, yeah. What if, what, if, what if you get really drunk one day and then like things go wrong? Wake up one morning with a PhD. That's kind of yeah. <laughs> you get drunk and wake up in a PhD program. Yeah. <laughs> you're not going to wake up one morning and end up with a PhD. Like, no, unlike a pregnancy, it's not how that's going to work. And like, tell anybody that I'm advising that they should go in looking for something that can make them feel happy and fulfilled aside from working in academia. Because yeah. if you can get that a job, is, that's fantastic. Yeah. But like, I wouldn't be able to afford my work, which I love and I'm very good at. My husband didn't work in the tech industry. Like, I think that's really good advice. And I, I sometimes joke that I wrote my way out of academia because my dissertation, and I was told this point blank by people in my department that my dissertation would never get me an academic job because it was too weird and it wasn't normal, which like I question what normal means for a dissertation because they're all kind of weird. But like point taken, it was not what they basically what I think that what they're trying to tell me is that like it was not what they would expect to see on a job application. But to your point, I distinctly remember having this conversation with my advisor because my advisor was trying to tell me this. And I basically was like, look, I can give you a dozen different PhD to like dissertation topics and proposals. They're all going to look like this. This is how my brain works. And this is what makes me happy. And she was like, great, cool. I support that. Do a weird thing. As long as you understand that, like getting a professorship will be an uphill battle with a, with work like this. And I was like, great, cool, fine. We're all in agreement. And like to her point, it was like I got some calls when I went in the market. But at that point, I already decided to leave. But the cool thing about like following the advice you just shared is like, and I see this all the time when I talk to people who are like leaving academia or at least thinking about it. As like, if you did something interesting that you're passionate about, people, you're going to be fine. Like, even if there's not an exact industry that is interested in the specific thing that you studied, people find weird people who are very committed to their thing interesting enough that they're willing to talk to you. And the amount of time that has led to a job or an opportunity professionally is still confuses me. And also like, and I, and like, it's not just me. Like everyone I know that's left has had that version of that experience of like, if you get a PhD, you're good at something. So I think it's also important to remember that like, there are people who are only going to be happy and fulfilled in their life if they get to spend next 30 years talking about Jane Austen or Charles Dickens or Dostoevsky or whatever. Mm-hmm. Right? And there's only one place in the world you can do that. One kind of place mm-hmm. in the world. Right. And that is the university. If you want to get paid for that's where you're going to that's where you're going to get to do that. <laughs> if you like teaching, if you like research, if you like messing around in new ideas, owning those skills in grad school and get you a job somewhere else, you have to have the flexibility to be like, okay, so I really want to talk about comic books all the time. Love to you guys. But actually, I would also be super happy talking about policies for developing better literacy in grade schools. Which is a job. It's a job. It's totally a a real job. There are more of those. There are more of those than there are jobs talking about Superman. To be fair. You're probably going to get paid more. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You absolutely. I mean, okay. okay. So remembering, I mean, I've talked about this on the show before. I left a much better job than I will ever have again in order to get into academia because I wasn't happy. So understand that I'm taking I'm looking at this from a very backwards point of view, right? Like I wanted to do this. That said, 
even my little academic job that I just got, like Pitt did not hire me to just talk about comics. Those days are, you know, to get a job in a humanities department, especially, but even in like a science department, just looking at kind of stuff like my wife does doing just the thing that your dissertation research was over was on. Those days are over. It used to exist. Those days are over. They're not coming back. Right. So like much like any other job, a job is a job. And if you get hired to do something, you're going to have to do more than the one thing that you are interested in. Other and, duties as assigned. Right. And to be fair, <laughs> to be fair I, I didn't. I mean, <laughs> Wayne and I have talked about this a lot before we ever started the show. Box Pop was explicitly not a comic book show because I didn't want it to be just comics. I have another podcast that is just a comic book show. So it's not like I haven't have, have anything against that. But like we, you know, we very much wanted this to be about popular culture. But I'm not even just doing pop culture at Pitt. Like I'm a lecturer of digital narrative, which is vaguely defined on purpose, right? Because because it means that like if they need me to teach something, they're going to tell me to do it. It's, it's what it is basically what it means to do. And that's, you know, the answer is I want it to be a teacher. And I had to accept that this is how, you know, for me, this is how I get to do that. Right. And like sometimes, I mean, I mean I've talked about the classes I've taught here. I've taught a lot of ethics classes, you know, because, <laughs> you know, it's just that it's something that I know how to do. And they and like I was doing it for Mount Aloysius. I, you know, it's something I know how to do that I'm qualified for. And so I do it. And that's how it's going to be. And, you know, I've thought about leaving academia. I've thought about it a lot since my concussion. And I love teaching and the thought of doing something else. And I love teaching university teaching. Like, that's the other problem for me is I'm like, but I like this. I like this batch of students. Yeah. I like this kind of environment. Like, I don't want to teach high school. You don't want to teach high school. <laughs> Honest to God, I cannot handle getting up that early in the morning. Like, it's hard enough to get my grade, my elementary school or school on time. I definitely can't be like expected to actually teach a class at the clock in the morning. <laughs> but I do know that my skill set could translate into something more lucrative if I put in the work to do the thing. And I do think that the job market outside of academia is better now at recognizing the academic skill set as valuable in other workplaces. Mm-hmm. So and on that note, have we, yeah, I was gonna say, so have we resolved that everyone is going to be fine? <laughs> <laughs> Have we resolved that everyone's going to be fine? I guess. Everyone's going to be fine. Yeah. Everyone's going to be all right. It's all going to be fine. But now, hopefully, you understand what the district is. Although, we never yeah. got an embargo. Although, that's a very like annoying thing. Say what it is, real quick. An embargo, basically, when you graduate, you can place your dissertation under embargo, which basically means even though it's publicly available on your university website, it is locked to the public, which means no one can access it. And the what? general purpose of that is the idea is if you're going to publish something on it within the next two years, mine just came off of embargo in June. I have all three of your dissertations up on screen right now. <laughs> Why do you have a copy? Okay. Why do I have a copy? Well, I mean, this actually matters because we didn't really talk about it. You know, you know how no one teaches you what a what a dissertation is or how to. I have the dissertations of most of my friends who have written them. I just have saved up my because you know someone should read your stuff, and so I have them. <laughs> I, will say, I I started my Hannah and I's cohort started doing that. We started giving first and second years copies of our dissertation. Mm-hmm. 
people knew what it looked like because I think it's really important and it's not a at least it wasn't an established tradition in our department and I hope it has become one at my department you donate a copy to the lounge to the student lounge mm-hmm. yeah that's yeah ours is there I mean we have dissertations and master's thesis VCs and and some people have their exams even that you can like put on there to the grad student organization but they're you know we have an intranet site we have that is just for us but like very useful because no one's going to teach you what they are and one of the things that you quickly learn is that everybody's looks very different right like so but like as far as you know i i've uh, <laughs> i have i have all three of yours i've got marones who was the person well, marones been on the show several times but that's who carolyn was referring to our friend who defended their dissertation with a katana he offered to lend it to me for my defense and i'm like like i don't own katanas come on and he's like yeah I, know. So, <laughs> so I might just bring it just because but i've got you know i've got his i've got anna's from my other show i don't think i have Andrews. i need to get that you but, ever read it, mine i expect used- lavish praise for it <laughs> <laughs> yeah how do you got it i don't know dissertations fun not fun who knows <laughs> hope you know they aren't, they aren't inherently fun having people to do them with make them fun, fun and it is awesome to have somebody give you permission to think really hard about something I, on that note carolyn thank you for joining us it's such a pleasure. Um, yeah so where yeah, can people find back. you and especially you know if they're writing a dissertation and they want help they're writing a dissertation and they want help hit me up i love 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 helping other people write their dissertations if, if they need your particular brand of falconry they need my particular brand of falconry <laughs> carolyn.salvi nice at gmail.com i don't have a website because i'm not that organized but maybe i will be someday <laughs> <laughs> Katya, where can people find you? You can find me on Instagram at just that nerd kid. I have posted one thing in the last six months. I continue <laughs> to only sort of believe in the internet. Very pretty. <laughs> <laughs> and Palindrome of Hannah. You can find me here. I should have done you first. Fuck. Oh, well. And Wayne. Ditto. <laughs> I hate you both. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, you know, you guys literally you're on the internet every week. I don't know. I don't do anything on the air. I have no content on the internet. This is my content. <laughs> anyway, if you enjoy the show, and we certainly hope you do, then please subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify or wherever the hell else you get podcasts from. And do us a favor, leave us a five star review. If you leave us a five star review, especially on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, that gooses the algorithm, makes us more popular, really helps us out. And, you know, we just like hearing from people. This was a this was a neat week because, you know, even though we didn't have there were a lot of responses that we just didn't get to read them all on the air. But like getting to read like people's stories and thoughts about dissertations was kind of neat. So I enjoyed that. So do more of that. You know, write us, leave us comments. We had comments from listener Jim Roberts, who commented on one of our one of our posts from I guess he's listening to old shows. He's like, oh, well, you know, I don't know. Sorry for spamming. It's like, no, it's not spamming. We like reading them. I, I enjoy them, so yeah. thank you. I would like to thank Maximilian of Thoughtform Music for our epic theme song, building ever so more epically and playing us out. I'd once again like to thank Carolyn for joining us. I'd like to thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.